So I'm going to pray, and we're going to get right into it. God, I want to thank you for grace and mercy. I want to thank you for today, as every day you give us blessing, and you love us, and every day that we could look to Jesus for strength and for direction in our lives. Lord, I know that people have come into this room this morning in different places in their spiritual journey, Lord, and I pray that this morning your word would reach into their hearts and affect them right where they need to be right where you need to work on them, Lord, that they would receive your word this morning and that it would continue the transformation that you've begun in them. And so, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. We are still in the book of Colossians, and I think we have one more after this. I'm pretty sure we only have one more, so we will have finished Colossians in record-breaking time of 20 weeks, which is, no, really, that's really good. So let's go, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly... As I should. So we're going to spend most of our time in verse 2 where Paul comes out and he says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Now, prayer, devoting yourself to prayer, is nothing new in the Bible. In fact, it's, it's a common thread that runs throughout the scripture. And even in the New Testament, we see in the book of Acts, uh, in the early chapters of the book of Acts, it says that the new church, these people gathered, were devoting themselves to prayer. And so we see this, this theme through the scriptures that we are to go to God and pray. But we as an American Christian culture, we don't, we don't really do so well with prayer. I mean, at least not with passion and consistency. We know that we, know that we should we know that we should pray. We know that there's power in prayer. We know that there's, there's a certain authority that we walk in when we pray. And I would bet you, even if you're new to following Jesus, even if you're new, you, 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 you don't, you, this is not the first time you've heard that you're actually supposed to talk to God. And I would, I would even say that if this is your first day here and you've never even heard of the name Jesus, you heard of this idea, this thing called prayer. Nobody is sitting here this morning with this major epiphany going, pray? I never knew that we're supposed to do that. And so we all understand and we all know that we're supposed to have this communication with God. But for many Christians, our prayer lives are anemic at best. And sometimes I would even say our prayer lives are deceitful. How many times have you said to someone, I'll pray for you. I'll pray about that. And that's as far as it went. And you just never actually prayed. And you, and you just convince yourself, well, the fact that I said I would pray, that's kind of like a prayer anyway. No. We don't do well, it seems, in prayer. Now, there's a lot of different ways to pray. Uh, there's the, and, and we're talking about just like a very classic theme of prayer. There, there's, there's the meditative types of prayer where you take scripture, 
uh, and you just kind of you just kind of sit with it. You kind of ma- let it marinate in your heart and your soul, or, or you meditate on the the character and the nature of who God is, and you allow the Holy Spirit to reveal something much deeper about God, and, and let Him infuse that into your very soul. And then there's the contemplative vein of prayer, which which don't get wiggy. It's not New Age, believe me. And, it, and it's just very you sit very quietly before the Lord, and you allow the groan of the Holy Spirit to pray for you as He goes to God for you and you receive that prayer and in that prayer you're, 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 there's, there's something that takes place there's a transaction that play, takes place between your soul and the soul and, and the very spirit of God but what Paul is talking about here is something very different from those two things he's talking about something that's very specific Paul is talking in the word prayer and devote yourselves to prayer that whole thing in the original language is about Asking God for stuff. Asking God for things. That he would give you things. And you even see in his next few verses, he says, pray for us too, that God would do some stuff for us. And so this is about asking God for things. Now, anytime I, I, I launch into that genre of thinking about that type of prayer, when you, when you ask God for things, it creates in me, and I'm sure some of you, attention. There's a little bit of a tension that's created because how many times have you asked God for things and you get nothing? You've asked and you've asked and you've asked and they're like, he doesn't even hear you. There, there, there is no answer. And then you just, you just give up and you stop asking because obviously God isn't in the business of answering prayer and obviously God doesn't care what I'm asking about. And so we wrestle internally in our interior with this this question of why even bother? Why even bother praying? Here's the thing. God has designed us. God has designed the way we live our life. God has designed our lives that we would go to him and ask him for things. That's the way this all is designed. Part of us is there's, there's this inherent thing in us that God has created that we would go to our heavenly father and ask him. Petition the Lord, bring our desires, bring our, uh, what the things that we would want to our father. Check this verse out. Isaiah. Isaiah 62 says this. I have posted watchmen on your walls. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the name of the Lord, give yourselves no rest. And give him, God, no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Now, I hope you see the weight of this passage. Because what God is saying is, I've put people, I've instilled in people, I've given them desire to, to sit on the walls, to stand on the walls, and to pray to me. And they're not going to be quiet. They're not going to shut up. Day and night, they're going to continually seek me in prayer. And then he says, for those of you who are praying, don't give up. Don't give in. Give yourselves no rest. And then verse 7. I love verse 7. And give me, he's talking about himself, God, give him, I'm sorry, no rest until he establishes Jerusalem. What God is saying is, don't stop asking me. In fact, harass me. Pester me. Don't give up until I answer your prayer. 
Don't give in. Keep at it. And we see in the New Testament the the story of the persistent widow. Where she goes knocking and knocking. And finally, finally she gets what she wants. You know, I preached that story once in my old church. <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and, and it was before I had my mature filter of preaching. And, and so some things didn't get filtered out. And, and so I, and I called the widow a crabby widow. And I almost got lynched after the service. But like four ladies, we're not crabby. I'm like, whoa, easy to that. But I digress. So anyway, this is, this, is, this is God saying, harass me in prayer. Now, I, I understand this theology. I get this. I get the story of the persistent widow. And I also get what, what Isaiah is speaking of here. But even in that, it causes me some tension. Because I don't know about you, but when I pray for stuff, we're talking about when I'm asking God for stuff, I want it. When I want it, and usually when I want it, it's now. And God needs to get on the same page with that. And things would be much better in my life. I wouldn't be so crabby. And him and I would do much better. I mean, does anybody resonate with that? We want it when we want it. And usually we want it now. And though, you know, we would never be so arrogant to say that to God. I mean, out loud anyway. Like, God... You need to get on this because I want this now. But in your heart, that's what you expect. Come on, God. Cough it up. It's not so much. You're God. You can do anything. Surely a simple Harley Davidson isn't a lot to ask for. But sometimes it just doesn't seem to happen. And so we try to convince them, manipulate them. We pray In our best King James, Heavenly Father, hast thou not given thine ear to your servant? And and, 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 or we supersize with fasting. We supersize our prayer. We think, yeah, I got to get some more mojo onto the prayer. So I'm just not going to eat, which is completely the wrong expression of fasting. It's completely the wrong heart to fast. But if we come at it from that perspective, from the me perspective, from the I want what I want when I want it now, we are going to miss the grace of God in prayer. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Because sometimes, I want to tell you this, sometimes prayer is about waiting on the Lord. Sometimes It's about sitting and waiting in the solitude and the quiet of God, pressing in, leaning in. I'm telling you, your soul will grow as much, if not more, when you spend time waiting on the Lord. And then if he would just give you what you want anytime you want it. But you see, we don't we don't like to wait we don't, we don't like that whole idea of waiting. We live in an instantaneous culture. If something happens halfway around the world, now we'll know about it in about six to eight minutes. We are very instantaneous. We want it now. Everything is quick. Everything is convenient. And everything is getting quicker and even more convenient. When I was in high school, I had to do a photography project, and I don't think it was photography class because we didn't have cool classes back then. But I had to go out and I had to take all these pictures. And back then, we had to, now this is for all you 20-somethings and, and, and younger. This, we had to use this. This is called film, okay? And what you had to do, this is a, I found this in my drawer. I have no idea what's on it. I'm, I don't even know what year it's from. But, but when you, when you originally, 
when you originally, when you, when you got it, there was this little zucchini that came out here and you put it in your camera and then you rolled it to the other side and you tucked it in and then you did the little hammer and, and it pulled it. And you don't want to go too far because then you waste the picture. Then you close the back and click, click, click. And then you start taking pictures that you can't see anymore. I mean, you can't see them. And then when you get to the end, okay, you just don't open the back because, oh, nay, nay, that ruins everything on the inside. You have to take the little, little, little lever over here and go, and it brings it all back into this way. And then you take this and you put it in something called a film container. Now, for those of you born up in the 60s and the 70s, that's what it was originally used for, to put the film in the container, okay? And then you, and then you send this away. You put it in the mail, snail mail. You lick an envelope and you mail this out. And in 10 to 12 days, you get your pictures back. And out of 36 of those pictures, four are worth keeping. But then, then we've progressed. We needed quicker. We needed more convenient. So then we had the one hour photo. Remember the little like, you can drive up and drop your stuff off. It didn't matter you had to pay 40 bucks to get a roll of film developed. It was done in an hour, but you still got the same terrible four pictures out of it. And now look at where we've come. Instantaneous digital pictures. Click, now you're ugly. Click, now you're ugly. Click, finally, you got a good one. And you see it. Our, and this is, and this is just, this is just the, the way our culture is. It continues to get quicker and quicker and more convenient. But there are times in prayer where the longing and the waiting is God's grace to us. There are times in prayer when we wait and we plead to the Lord. And that is actually his grace. But we take the waiting as him either ignoring us or saying no. And so we grow in patience with the God that seems to be dragging his feet. He's just not in tune to what I need. But, and we miss the grace that's in that. I get sometimes that prayers have a, um, an urgency to them and, and there's a crisis. But even sometimes in those things, God calls us to wait and to relax. And what I've learned is it's not always about the end result. It's not always about me getting what I want. What I'm learning about prayer is it's about the movement and the rhythm of prayer in your life. And not just getting the things that you want. I'm learning that the act of praying, consistent in rhythm, part of your life, the act of prayer transforms you. It transforms you from the inside out. It transforms you because it's you seeking the Lord. I've kept journals writing stuff down. And I have noticed as I read back how my journey with prayer has changed and it's matured and things have transformed. And I would encourage you, encourage you to do the same. That you would keep journals of the things that you're praying about with your conversations to God, what those are like. And you will watch, you will watch that, that, that transformation. Yes, it does come slow, but it comes. It takes place. And in that transformation, you begin to see what was important to you a year ago. It might not be so important to you today. 
and you're growing in your relationship and your prayers begin to change. And they're not so much self-centered anymore, but they're about God. And I'm telling you, when you start to get to that place, it's the sanctification of the Holy Spirit at work in your life that's changing you through your times of praying. Paul says, devote yourself to prayer. And as we open ourselves to the efficiency of God and his glory, as we give ourselves into the movement of prayer in our lives and trust that he will supply all of our needs, all of our needs by the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. Paul writes that in Philippians. But you've got to understand that that needs and wants are very different. Could be very different. And all desires are not godly desires. In the book of James, he says that uh, he reminds us that you ask and you don't get what you want because you ask with the wrong motives. That you want to, the the stuff that you want, you want to uh, spend it on your own pleasure. But Paul would still say, devote yourselves to prayer. And then there's there's times, you know, where, where you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and... You don't, you don't notice any type of movement of God or any answer of the Lord until you've actually gone through the experience and you're out on the other side. You've gone through it. And the very thing you've prayed for, the very thing that you've asked God to change or to correct or to do something different is the very thing that he allowed you to walk through. And I, don't, I can't give you a definition or an answer why, but in, in his glory, in his sovereignty, he has chosen to allow you to walk through it. And you may not see the answer until you've gotten to the other side. In Moses, I'm sorry, in... Um, the old uh, uh, Exodus, that's the book. Moses, whoo, Moses asks, Moses asks God, he says, hey God, listen, you know, show me your glory. And God says, oh Mo, listen, um, if you like look at it full force, you'll explode. And, and so it's probably not a good idea. What I'm going to do for you is I'm going to tuck you in this rock nice and nice and, and I'm going to walk by you and then I'm going to put my hand and so you can't see everything. And so Moses, he, he hangs out in the rock. God does his thing. And, and it says that, and Moses saw the back of God. But, but in the Hebrew, it actually is even more vague. Moses saw where God was. Moses saw where God was. And you see, in our humanity and in our feebleness and in our finite selves sometimes that we we can't see god when he is standing right in front of us or when we're going through the throes we don't we 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 have a hard time experiencing or noticing the experience of god with us and it's by his grace that when we've walked through that as he's walked through it with us when we get to the end and we can look back we can see that god was there what did jacob say god was in this place and i didn't even know it And even that is his grace. Maybe we could say it this way, that that we can see his footprints or see his fingerprints on our lives after we've moved through the very thing that maybe we didn't want to experience, that he walked with us side by side, answering the best way for us. And even sometimes in that answer, we still can't figure out the full meaning of what God is doing. 
We could just see the footprint. We could just see the fingerprint, but we don't understand. And it's because it's, he doesn't answer in the way that we always would expect or the way that we would want. We, we don't always understand in the moment because the revelation of God can come slow. Psalm 86 says, teach me your way, O Lord. So there's a way of the Lord. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. There's a way of the Lord that we have to learn and understand. And he reveals it to us that we can rely that he is always faithful. No matter what, the Lord is always faithful. And sometimes we don't understand the way he answers. And he answers in so many different ways. He can do it through words and phrases, experiences, images, scripture, insights, even questions through people by changing our desires. These are all things that reflect the grace of God in answered prayer. And so we read this. We don't read that one. We read those words, devote yourselves to praying. Devote yourselves to prayer. And we find in ourselves attention. We find in ourselves this, this push and pull when we're confronted with it. And it seems sometimes there's, this, there's this, this paradox. Well, God knows everything, so why does he want me to ask? You know the answer is for that? I really don't know. I mean, we can all come up with, you know, well, I believe it's this, well, I believe it's that. Well, that's great for you, and if that, brings you, if that brings you God's grace. But don't force that on someone else. And then we have to fight through our own doubt and our own, you know, our own darkness in our hearts, our own desires. But I will say this, there's always going to be mystery. There's always going to be mystery. When it comes to the things of God, there's always going to be some mystery uh, in, in, in the, the realm of prayer. There's always going to be things that we don't understand, because if we can explain and understand all of the things of God, he fails to be God. Now, these are the tensions that we feel when we're praying or while we're praying, or when we think about we're going to prayer. But there are some very concrete things that will keep us from praying, from entering into prayer. There are things that just, that just keep us, and this is, goes beyond the tension, this goes beyond the obstacle, I'm, I'm sorry, beyond the, the, the paradox that we might, beyond our own doubts, very concrete things. And I believe one of them is that we fail to understand fully or even believe fully about the spiritual battle that rages on in the spiritual realm around us. We just don't fully understand that or we don't fully believe it. If we did, it would drive us to our knees every single day. If we fully believe that there is a, a battle raging on for the souls of men and women, and yes, even the souls of men and women in the church, it would drive us to our knees in prayer every day. There is a dark, evil, demonic force that is hunting each one of you down. Okay, maybe that was a little... Let me, let me phrase it this way. Let me rephrase Okay. There is a dark, evil, demonic force... That is hunting you down. And it's no joke. And if you would understand that, it would force you, force you to your knees, seeking God in prayer. 
There is something that's keeping you from him, that wants to keep you from him, wants to keep you from knowing him, wants to keep you from entering into his salvation. And if, he, if, if the enemy can't have your soul, he wants to make sure that you live a lame, boring life for God and make absolutely no difference for the kingdom. If you really understood Moms and dads, that, the, that there's a battle raging on for your own children. Husbands for your wives and wives for your husbands. You'd be devoted to prayer. But see, in our culture, we kind of just like, we don't really focus on that type of thing. We just kind of poo-poo that whole spiritual thing away. Um, and it's just, eh, you know, yeah, the devil's real, ha, 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 but eh. Listen, I, I, have, I, have, I have witnessed the enemy. Not with like the horns and the red suit and the tail. Not like that. I've experienced those dark forces in my life. I've experienced them right in church. In a church building. I was part of a leadership team and uh, there, was, there, was, there was this big ugliness going on with somebody in the church. And, and the church had to gather for, for church discipline. And we sat in that room and I watched an entire community of faith be attacked by a spirit of anger and divisiveness. And it tore apart a community. And it was dark and it was oppressive and it was ugly. And I'm telling you, it's no joke. There are spiritual forces that don't want you to pray. And unless you understand that, you won't. And you'll come at prayer as just a hobby when you got a little spare time at the end of the day before you go to sleep, laying in your bed. Dear God, thank you for doing... And that's all you got. How many of us have prayed that? Our lack of belief in those things keeps us from devoting ourselves to prayer. I think, I think another thing that does is, is our own pride. Uh, there, there, are, there are people, I bet you there's even people in, in our church. I know I'm probably one of them. There's people that really believe, I got this. Like, I got this. I got this all under control. I'm a Jesus follower, man. I, I, you know, I'm, um, I can handle this. Um, I'm a well-educated, well, not me, but maybe some of you. Uh, well-educated. I'm a manager. I'm the boss. I'm, you know, I got this, bro. It, it, no problem. That's probably one of the biggest lies of the enemy that whispers in your head. And see, we come at it from, we only pray when... When things go really, really bad and we really need some a little divine intervention. And so it's like, God, please don't end the world today. Or, or, or maybe, maybe you, you thank God. God, thank you that I'm so awesome. And our pride gets in the way of our prayer. You see, most of us, all of us, in some area of our lives, we live with the illusion that we are in control. There's a part of your life that's an illusion of control that you think you've got this. But, but yes, and we could, we make choices. We can make good choices. We can make not so good choices. And they have a direct influence on our lives. But ultimately, God is sovereign. And he is sovereign over all things. And we might not understand all of the aspects and the full understanding of that sovereignty, but he is 
He is sovereign. And I think that the fact that we can make choices, good choices, bad choices, and it doesn't mess with anything of God's control, that just, that's just, just an amazing uh, testimony to that sovereignty. And so we live in this linear mentality. If, if, I, do, if I do this, and then I do this, well then, this, this has to happen. This is the way it's supposed to work out. Something like... Um, Okay, if I, if I drive the speed limit and drive safe and make sure the brakes are good on my car and make sure that I have good tires and I maintain my car, then I, I shouldn't get into an accident until that moron runs the red light and smashes into you or until you take that corner in the wintertime and you hit black ice and you slide off the road. Or, or this is my favorite one. I, I, I'm going to eat well and I'm going to exercise so that I can live a good, long, healthy life. The only, the only thing wrong with that is, well, it's the Bible. I mean, because you're not guaranteed that at all. It's not like, I mean, I don't go to the gym so that I can fool God and get a couple extra years without him knowing it. He's not going to go one day, oh, snap, wasn't he supposed to be dead a year ago? Stupid YMCA. That's not the way it plays out. I go to the gym so that in the end I can die as healthy as I possibly can. That's, that's the best I can do. And so we think that, that, that in the spiritual world, one plus two equals three. And that works in math, but it doesn't work when we think we have control of everything. We need to begin to lose the illusion of that control in our lives and realize it's all about God. And that we would come to a place of surrender. We would come to a place of surrender and realize that it's in our prayer that deepens our walk with Christ and brings us into a deeper sense of intimacy, even when you're asking him for things. Charlotte's Web, Chris DiPaolo, his ministry. Charlotte's Web was birthed out of this place of, of not arrogance or not pride, but just a, out, of, out of a place of surrender. If you ask Chris about his story, he will say, you don't know surrender until your little, your little girl is in the pediatric ICU in Yale, New Haven. You, you don't know helplessness until you come to that point in your life. You don't feel, you don't feel so out of control until you look at your little girl lying in a hospital bed. I went to see Charlotte right after she was put in the hospital and the doctors didn't even know what was, what was going on. They were throwing around these big words and these diseases. I remember leukemia was one of them, but they had no idea. And it's times like that when you realize you have no control. And the only, one that, the only place that you can go to is the one that is in control. And it was by God's grace that Chris and Susan's prayers were answered. And now Charlotte, I get this great big hug from her every time I see her. And she's recovered, but it was a long and it was a hard road for them. And if we can get Chris not to cry for more than five minutes, he would tell that story. <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> Look, he's crying right there already. <laughs> it was birthed out of this darkness and pain of realizing that it's, it's in God's hands. And it was God's grace 
that he birthed a ministry of what? Of prayer. That, that there's, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people saying, God, will you intervene on behalf of this child and that child and that child? That out of that darkest moment of their lives, God made something good and beautiful and it finds itself rooted in praying. Devote yourselves to prayer. Don't let the illusion of control keep you from seeking out the Lord our God. I think there's one more thing that keeps us from praying, and, and I, I believe it's, it's sin in our lives. And I think it's sin not for the, just the reason you would think that it's sin. You see, when we are in the throes of sin, we, we tend to run away from God. Like when we've messed up, we tend to, to run away from him. And I have told you over and over and over again, if you're running from God because you are in sin, because you have sin, you don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in the middle of your sin, you don't run from him, you run to him. Because that's where your healing is. That's where your transformation is. That's where your forgiveness is. You don't get to go and clean yourself all up and, 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 and modify your behavior and get it all together. Now I can come and now I can seek the Lord. That is a mistake. The gospel says, come to me in your brokenness and in your messiness. In, in, in the darkest hour, come to me. And so in that brokenness and in our sin, right in the middle of it, we run to God. And not run away from him. It, it's, not, it's not like you can hide from him anyway. It's not like if you just avoid him for a little while, then he's not going to find out what you did. And I think you can skate through this one and, and it's like, you know, keeping something from your dad. God sees everything. God knows everything. And in the middle, in the midst of your darkest hour, he loves you. And he wants to call you home. We just lack a basic understanding of the love and affection that God has for us. And it keeps us away from him. It keeps us from praying. The word of the Lord says, bother me. Don't give up. Pester me. Don't give me any rest, night or day. And I want to tell you, I want you to remember that if the grace comes quick, or if the grace takes a lifetime for God to answer, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than ours. He's got this. He is faithful. Pray that you would know his way, that you can rely on his faithfulness. He is faithful. Devote yourselves to prayer. I remember the mystery. There's a mystery in the glory and the majesty of God, and that's both the the frustration and the beauty of it. Now, now here's, here's what's going to happen. Some of you are going to leave here tonight and you are going to rip it up tonight. Like you're, you're going you're to lock yourself literally in the closet 
and you're going to be praying to God. Some of you are even going to cry for the first time tonight. I, I guarantee you'll be like, God, it's, and you're going to get up in the morning at early, and, and you're going to sit down with your Bible in your journal, and you're just going to be like praying, and that's going to last till Thursday. Maybe. Because prayer is hard work. Paul says over and over again, labor with me in prayer. It's the thing that brings us the most power in our lives. It's really simple to do. You don't need a lot of stuff to pray. And yet it's the thing that we avoid the most in our Christian experience. There is an enemy that is prowling around like a lion looking for you to devour. And without prayers being a part of your life, you're easy pickings. Devote yourselves to prayer. We are to be disciplined in the things that bring life to a Jesus follower. We are to be disciplined in the things that enable us to walk in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. And one of those things is being devoted to prayer, to praying, to getting on your knees. Not just once in a while, every day. Make it a rhythm of your life. God has called us not to season our life with just a little prayer. He's called us to season our prayer with our lives. It's a very different mentality. And we do this not to get God's approval. We do this not to get God to love us a little more. We go to him in prayer because we are already approved. And we are already loved because of Jesus Christ. Devote yourselves to prayer. I long for the day that we have to bring extra chairs in that prayer room on the first Wednesday of the month because we can't fit the people in there to pray. I long for the day that we have to hold it in here because the community is gathering as a community seeking the Lord in prayer. I long for that day. A healthy church isn't based on the attendance on a Sunday morning. A healthy church is based on the attendance and when the community gathers to pray. Devote yourselves God, I want to thank you for even the grace of your word and what it teaches us. And Lord, I ask you that you would even give us the desire to pray. That you would instill in your people a renewal to seek the Lord. That you would renew our hearts and you would renew our souls that we would go to you, go to you in worship and in thanksgiving and in watchfulness, go to you in your word and pray your scriptures back, Lord, that you would give us the desire to go to you and, and, and know that we have released control, that we, would, we desire to surrender, Lord, but we can't seem to open our fists. I pray, God, that you would open our hands, that we would surrender those things to you. And thank you in all our frailness and in all our darkness. You love us beyond what we can ever imagine. We stand before you justified and sanctified because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And it's in his name that we pray.
Amen. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.